Welcome to Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer, and I've worked in the animal health industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. Yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician so they can share their own directions, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support this incredible profession. Today, we have the opportunity to chat with Dr. Vinaya Jones, a veterinarian and owner of her practice, the Cleveland Veterinary Clinic. I am so excited to have you here because you have a very special life story to tell us because she is actually the first female veterinarian of color to own a practice in Cleveland, which is amazing. Thank you for having me. It's great. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to hear. You own your own practice. Yes. And yeah, and all of this was a was a breeze, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not <laughs> hard. <laughs> okay, let's start at the beginning. You were born and raised in Oakwood Village, Ohio, and it sounds like from my understanding and my research that third grade was this tremendous aha moment for you. <laughs> Tell us. Yes. Yeah, so always as a young girl, I had an interest in animals I, in Oakwood. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was like a suburb of Cleveland where there's a no sidewalks, dirt road. It's kind of reminds me of the, the Andy Griffin show mm-hmm. back then. It's, it's <laughs> quite it's quite different now, but back then. So it was a lot of stray animals that just kind of wandered around from yard to yard. So I always was taking care of them and um, kind of nursing them back to health. I didn't know that it was a career at that time. I just thought this was a fun hobby that I enjoyed doing. And then when we had career day in third grade, And this veterinarian, he came in and he's describing his profession and how he takes care of animals on a daily basis and he gets paid for this and how he went to school for this. I was just like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. I've been doing this every day and I can finally get paid for this as an adult. I was just, it was one of the happiest moments of my life when I realized that this was actually a profession that I had already been, you know, had started as a young child and actually enjoy doing it. So, um, yep, third grade was the day I knew veterinary medicine was the direction that I was going in, and I've just been on that goal ever since. Oh, wow. And you received your veterinary degree from Western University, and then you started work in private practice, right? Just a, yes. as an associate. And yes. and then what happened? Why you were there, and then you left, right? I've always known, like I said, that I wanted to own my own practice. So when I graduated from Western University, I didn't feel like I was ready to just go out and start a practice on my own. I felt like I needed to work under someone else to just gain some real world experience of practicing veterinary medicine. Because, you know, everything doesn't go by the book. (laughs) Running a business is not something that you can actually just read a book about and, and do. I had moved to California to go to Western University. So then I moved my family back to Cleveland and got a job at West Geauga Veterinary Hospital because we were originally from Cleveland. And I stayed there for about seven years, six to seven years I stayed at West Geauga, just gaining knowledge about the profession. And my boss let me make a lot of business decisions with her. So it was kind of like I was also gaining some um, 
business knowledge as well, like what to do with the business, what not to do with it. And with my original goal in mind, I kind of like use that as a experience and as some time to, you know, gain knowledge and, you know, get some experience under my belt so that I can go out and, you know, start my own practice. Can you tell our listeners, how do you know when it's time to move on? You could, many of our listeners are new graduates or early career mm-hmm. uh, veterinarians or technicians. So, so what, what would you say to them in, in knowing when, when do you just, okay, it's time for the next step? So I felt like I had got to the point where I'm driving to work and I didn't want to drive to work. <laughs> I'm like, this this like 20 minute drive is like now becoming like a 40 minute like torture session of me going and I, I don't want to go. I do not want to go. I'm counting the number of days until it's Friday again so that I could have that time off. And it's like, I didn't go to school and spend my whole life wanting to be a veterinarian just to count and wait for the days that I'm that I'm off. <laughs> So it, it became to a point where I felt like I didn't want to go. It was it was kind of like affecting my emotional well-being. And I had that sense that I should be doing something else, something bigger than what I was doing. So I kind of just listened to my body of, you know, not wanting to be there and feeling like I needed to do, be doing something else and knowing what my long-term goals were. I mean, I know I, I had already had goals set out for myself and it was just really the the fear of uh, the unknown that kind of keeps you in a, a one set spot that, um, you know, it kind of stops you from going on to that next stop. And I knew that I wanted to go to that next level. And the only thing that was keeping me there was just fear. And then here, here, I know what happens. I know what happens every day. I know I'm going to get that paycheck in two weeks. I, But I wasn't feeling good about it. Your body tells you, when it's time to go. Your body starts reacting and telling you things even if you don't want to believe it. I understand that the journey to opening your practice was far from easy. You said, in fact, funding was one of your biggest obstacles to get it. So yes. what what was happening? You know, everybody, when I was in college, they made it seem like, oh, great. You know what? When you get out, um, all the banks love to give to veterinarians because, you know, the, um, the success rate of a veterinary business is like 99%. So they're very eager to give you guys money to open up your clinics. So when I was applying, I was very naive, like, I'm a veterinarian. They're just going to give me the money for this. And it didn't work out that way. <laughs> I applied to several different banks and um, they wanted uh, me to have a, a certain amount of money in my uh, account. I want to say one bank wanted like 20% of what I was asking for before they would um, give me any money. Then they wanted um, another bank wanted a, a history of me maybe a three to five year history of me running my own clinic before I could get the loan. But I'm like, how do I get that if I don't get the loan to open the clinic? And then how do I get the 20% of what I'm asking you for, you know, working as a, a, a veterinarian? I was like, how am I going to get this? So I, I went through several different things from different banks. And then it was like, oh, well, you have too much on your credit. That was another thing that one bank told me. My house, my student loans, which are ridiculous because I did go to a private veterinary college. So my student loans are astronomical. I don't know how many I got rejected from. Maybe I got three, three or four rejections from banks. An associate of mine 
She belonged to a network of businesses where they all come together. And one's a banker, one's a veterinarian, one's a lawyer. So she referred me to a banker that was a part of this group with her. He was a part of Huntington Bank. Huntington Bank was going to be starting up a new veterinary program. So to get myself in a good position, he was like, well, you know, um, have 50000 in your account. Make sure your credit score is this. Make sure... Any credit cards you got, you don't want any of them in your name. He kind of gave me the setup of what I needed so that when November came and I could apply for the veterinary loan, that I would actually get it. And Huntington Bank finally did give me the money. But it, it was a while of me researching all these banks. But first, before I even went to the banks, I felt because I was opening a business in Cleveland, you know, being an African American, being a woman and, you know, bringing this business to Cleveland. I really thought that the the city would give me more funding mm-hmm. to support me and bring me because everybody was like, oh, man, you're a woman, you're an African-American, you're coming to Cleveland. There's so much money. But I, I didn't get that. Did you ever just want to say, that's it, I'm throwing in the towel? I knew that once I got it, it would definitely be worth it. And I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say I didn't get frustrated. I didn't want to quit. I would, you know, it'd be times where I would be like, you know, I should just go and work in a regular job. I'd be making some good money by now. Even before I got to this point, because, you know, I didn't get into vet school on my first try. So it was like, what's going on? Maybe this isn't the career for me. I've like, you know, maybe I should try something else. And then, but I couldn't, I couldn't find anything else that made me happy, that made me, you know, feel the way that I did when I was thinking about being a veterinarian. So I I didn't want to, I kept trying. And even though I got told no several times and felt like, you know, a lot of people around me didn't understand what I was doing or why I was doing it, you know, it's it's not many African-Americans in that field. Why do you want to do that? You know, black people don't do that. I got that a lot from my peers. And I was like, well, I'm black and I do it because I really like animals. And then a lot of um, adults that were around me Gave me, you know, you know, it's a white male dominated profession. It's going to be very hard for you to get in. So that kind of that negative energy of, oh, so many things against you about getting in. It was very frustrating at times. It did make me think maybe I need to go a different route. But I feel like I I couldn't. I couldn't. My, my, My soul, my body just would not let me pick another route. I mean, I just wasn't happy. Whenever I thought about... Maybe I'll go and do some other thing with science. It was just like depressing to me. It was is not something that I wanted to do. It was always that this is what I've set my mind on. I don't care about what other people are saying around me. I'm just going to surround myself with people that believe that I can do it. And I'm going to keep trying until I do it. That's just the way I am. And I, I will go through all the frustration and heartache and fall off several times, but If my goal is to do it, I'm going to do it. There is so much personal strength in your story. Look (laughs) at you. This is is extraordinary. And you touched on support. And I'm curious about what sort of support did you have in place to help you continue through this journey? My family has just been amazing. I mean, I cannot explain to you how supportive my family has been. I mean, ever since I was a little girl, even me having all these pets. I, one time I feel like I probably had about 20 or more cats in my backyard because they all the trained. <laughs> Once you start feeding them, they come, they come. So my mom was just always so supportive and, you know, buying the food for all these stray animals. My dad, he would always, he was a uh, dog lover. So he always made certain that I had a dog that I was taking care of and 
just being so supportive of, you know, she loves these animals. We're going to nurture it. We're going to carry her, take her to the zoo, take her to wherever she wants so she can get that exposure to these animals. And then when I um, went away to college and met my husband, the support that he's given me has just been amazing because I, I actually got married and had children before I went to you know veterinary school. And I was a stay-at-home mom for like eight years before I actually applied for vet school. So my husband was just always like, you know, this is your dream. Uh, you know, I'm here. I'm going to support you however you need me to, to make certain that you get into vet school. So actually, when we moved my entire family, my husband and my two kids to California to go to vet school, <laughs> he was there. He went from, you know, being the dad that just goes to work um, and I was a stay at home mom to now he's like, how do you put her hair in the ponytails? How do we make dinner? <laughs> I mean, it was it was amazing. But he was he was there. He was willing to help me and do whatever he needed to do to make certain that I was, um, you know, going to make it in vet school. It was times that the kids would be like, Mom, I don't know what dad did, but he did not wash us up properly. <laughs> he did not do us today. I mean, it was just like the stories when I came home, but he was really trying his best to take care of these children. <laughs> so I, I have to say my support has truly come from my husband and my parents. And, you know, I have five sisters and brothers. So they've always been like, you know, calling me Dr. Jones from like day one, because if, you know, if you keep saying it, you can bring it into reality. And then believing in me and encouraging me has just been all the support I need. And I, I find that if you um, surround yourself with people that believe in you and tell you constantly that you can do it, it really changes your thought process. Because I know when people would tell me, oh no, that's crazy. Why do you want to do that? It would bring me down a notch. It sounds like you have a tremendous support system. I, I'm still hanging on the idea that you went to vet school and graduated Mm-hmm. having kids and a husband and because I thought vet school was so hard. It was one of the hardest things I did in my oh, wow. life. And you, how did you, how did you do that? Look at, I'm, I'm like, whoa. I, well, like I said, my husband was truly a great support, but I, it really just restructured my whole life. I would get up in man, about three 30 in the morning. I would get up and study so that I could get my studying done in the morning. And then I would be ready to get my kids up in the morning. By the time that they got up, I can get them ready and send them off to school. And then, you know, I'm at school while they're at school. And then my husband would take care of them after school. It was just really a a rigid system of here's the time you got to be someplace and do this. (laughs) And it really made you see what are the important things to me. So it was important for me to get my kids off to school and to be there before they went to bed. So I studied after school until it was time for us to do dinner and then do bedtime. And then I I made certain I got home for that. And then from when they were sick, they went to school with me. I mean, Western was great. They would have them in their little white coats. They would be sitting under my desk, listening to their little, um, their iPads, watching movies all day while they were sick. It was really nice how the school allowed me to bring them with me when they were ill. I feel like it was me and two other moms that were there. Since we had to have our kids and had such a schedule about ourselves, 
we were kind of like really good students because it's kind of like, I don't have time to play around. I'm going to study right now because this is all the time I got to study. I got to be with the kids later. So we're really going to buckle down. I'm going to use every waking moment that I have to study. I became very efficient. That's what I should say. <laughs> very That's efficient. what I was going to say. It sounds like a very efficient schedule. You yes. were productive and you maximized each second. Exactly. Exactly. No that's room. exactly what I did. <laughs> you were on a mission and that's what it was. <laughs> what advice would you give to women of color in practice ownership? What have you learned? One of the challenges is that you will tell yourself that I can't do it or I'm not good enough or they're not going to accept me in this profession. The best thing for women of color to realize is that you can do anything you set your mind to. As long as you believe in yourself and tell yourself that you can do it, there's no way that anybody can stop you. If you believe that you are good enough and that you can do it, you can do it. You know, when I got rejected from vet school so many times, I had to tell myself, I am Dr. Jones. The world just doesn't know it yet. So I just, the papers haven't came yet, but I'm Dr. Jones. That's what I kept telling myself. I am Dr. Jones. I'm just waiting for the papers to arrive to say that I'm Dr. Jones. And it sounds like that's very universal too, because if someone wants to go big, if they want to achieve their dreams, that's what they should do. Yeah. I mean, it works for everyone. I just feel like as a minority, since we don't tend to see ourselves in a lot of these different positions, we don't we don't think that we can achieve it, and, you know, and you need to see someone else doing it that looks like yourself to believe like, you know what? She did it. I can do it. Or he's doing it. I can do it. You, you need that reassurance, but you also need it because you need someone to give you that blueprint. How did how did you get there? Tell me, tell me the steps that I need to do coming from where I'm coming from. Because somebody else, like some of my other friends at open practice that were, you know, my white colleagues, they came from a background where they had money. The family had money. Somebody could have gave, you know, had money to give them. But I didn't come from a background of that. So it wasn't like, you know, uncle, whoever could, you know, give me a hundred thousand dollars to start off with or pay off my student loans. I didn't have that to come from. I can't listen from the person that came from an angle of they've already had finances in their family. They've already had previous veterinarians in their family or they've already had the, you know, business owners in their family that kind of, oh, here, here's what you do. Here's 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 my connection. Let me introduce you to so and so and so and so. You need someone that's coming from that same path as you that's experienced some of the hardships or come from nothing to tell you, well, I know, I know other people have done it this way, but let me tell you how I did it because I didn't have that money like, like Kathy may have had. So I'm going to, I had to go this route. Mm -hmm. You were talking about money and your student loans being enormous. How do you sleep at night or, or how, how does that sit in you? (laughs) (laughs) Since I've opened my practice, I'm not going to lie my sleep pattern has been very broken. <laughs> I think I wake up at three o'clock, maybe three or four o'clock in the morning, just thinking of how I can do things, move things around or, you know, manage so that I can, you know, make certain that my business is a success. But I've told myself, because I know some of my friends get really stressed out about student loans. I've told myself that's just something that I'm going to pay on for the rest of my life. It's just a bill that I'm going to have And I'm going to just make monthly payments on it. 
And I'm probably, it's probably going to be there until I die. I'm not like going to try and stress myself out and pay the maximum amount and try and like pay it off as fast as I can. I'm, I'm not going to do that to myself. I'm just going to pay my minimum payment until, I mean, until the rest of my life. That's what I plan on doing it. I don't, I don't, I don't try and stress myself because I feel like it's an, it's an impossible amount. The, if I was to pay what they wanted me to pay, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't own a car. I couldn't own a house. I couldn't even have this business because I, I wouldn't be, I would just be living to pay that student loan. So, well, yeah, you would be, (laughs) well, you would, we would be like, there's Dr. Jones. She lives in a cardboard box, but there she is. She's got her, she's got it, you know, (laughs) that's You know, what are you going to do with that? Nothing. Oh, Lord. I know. And I had a student loan. uh, Like when I first graduated, when they sent me that initial bill of paying something ridiculous amount a month, I called them and I said, well, I need to work out some type of payment plan or get this reduced because there's no way I can uh, afford to pay my house and my car note and my other bills and pay this bill as well. And the person on the phone told me, I, I kid you not. She was like, you had the student loan before you went out and purchased that house, that car, and you got your other bills. You should have thought about those things before you did those. And I said, well, why did I go to school all these years to live with my mom only to be able to pay my student loan? I mean, right. you, you go to school because you want to like live. You want to like live nicely. I, I couldn't believe she said that to me. I was like, okay, I, I, I see where you're coming from. I understand it's my responsibility. I'm not going to not pay the student loans. I'm going to say, can we work out something where I can still live? <laughs> right, right. Uh, when I was doing my research uh, and reading your biography, I loved you said that you value your marriage of 22 years to a wonderful man. And we were talking about him earlier. And I'm curious what do you value and what makes your marriage work? I really feel that he is my best friend. He's into wellness. So he definitely makes certain that I am meditating, exercising, that I'm taking care of myself. We are both here supporting each other, helping each other grow in our businesses and, and in our life period. We're not just partners. We're like soulmates. Oh, Manaya. speaking of your husband and care and you have your two kids i understand you also have four cats two dogs and stitch the gecko and i do understand from um before we started the episode that there there, there's a funny story behind your husband taking your cat in for veterinary care yes So back when we were in college, I have to uh, start this by my husband, before he married me, he was not a pet person. He did not have pets growing up. He actually didn't know how to even interact with animals. And he was definitely allergic to them. <laughs> so we had a, a, our cat and the cat had become ill and I had to go to class and I needed my husband to take the cat to the vet because we had an appointment during my class time and I showed him how to get the cat in the box and, you know, just, you know, keep it in the box until you get to the clinic and everything would be okay. My husband, I don't know how he finagled the cat and tried to get him in the box. He said the cat refused to go in the box. He was like, it didn't look as easy as when you put him in a box. So he finally gets the cat into the box. He gets the cat into the car. He says, as he's driving, the cat has escaped the box 
And now the cat has is at the door of the car and has pushed the window down. So now the window's down. He's afraid that the cat's about to jump off the car. So he's trying to grab the cat and drive. He gets the window up. And then all of a sudden he hears this noise. The cat's peeing in the back seat because we had like um, cushion seats. So it like soaked it up. So he heard the cat peeing in the back seat and it was an unneutered male cat pee. I don't know. You know how that smells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, this horrible smells in the car. He's got the windows up. So he finally gets to the animal hospital and he had to try and get the cat back in the box. And he said he's he's trying to get the cat in the box without actually losing the cat, jumping out of the car. So he's got the cat half in the back half holding it he goes into the hospital and he's got cat hair all over him he's like his nose is bleeding by now he sits the cat on the counter and was like help me <laughs> help me oh. he was like, they didn't know what was wrong with this man the cat's like screaming the box half open he's got a bloody nose <laughs> all from like trying to take this little six pound cat to the vet <laughs> oh that's love that's love. <laughs> Our car, by the way, stunk for the rest of the ownership of that car. <laughs> get that smell out of there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And I think one of the um, most wonderful things you said is that when you keep saying it, when you keep saying your dream, you keep saying your goal, it becomes a reality. And I think that's so true that we all should hang on to that yeah it's great thank you thank you so much for having me thank you for the fun my goodness this was great this concludes another episode of scrub chat a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals please remember to visit vetvance at www.vetvance.com and check out zoetis commitment to veterinarians on facebook twitter and instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt reducing stress communication skills and reputation management VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, this is Scrub Chat. <laughs>